Blog Talk Radio. It's November 12th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living radio show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-hosts David Fillion and Jeff Brown, and I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. To be sure, each and every member of the leadership team of Working for a Living is committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos, and that ethos then administered in the interest of all the rank-and-file members. Having said that, We certainly hope that you had an enjoyable week, that you had a lot of fun, and stayed safe. Announcements. Remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for Everyone and removing the $127,000 cap on the earnings that are subject to participation in the Social Security program. That will help pay for this. In fact, it will pay for all of it and have money left over. You bring in money from those that aren't paying and contributing now. So, announcement number two, Team Working for a Living continues to oppose the Work and Families Flexibility Act. Announcement number three, Team Working for a Living continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan Building Trades against the legislation introduced to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage. They turned in the signatures and this past week, and we urge you to contact your legislator to vote against this, okay? We were not successful in the decline to sign program. Uh, Announcement number four, congratulations to UAW member Mary Donovan Spragowski on her election to the at-large City Council position in Lorain, Ohio. We're pleased to announce that she was top vote-getter. Also, congratulations to Jeremy Garza, the Recording Secretary for the Plumbers and Pipefitters Local in Lansing, Michigan, on his election to the second Ward City Council for the City of Lansing. Congratulations, brother. Glad to have you uh, here uh, in my own city, uh, or near my my residence. Uh, Announcement number six, Fuyo, Fuyo, yeah, Fuyo, I guess it's pronounced Fuyo, employees reject a UAW bid to represent them. More on that later in the show. On to email and messages. Uh, first message, uh, this is, came an email. Uh, great show, you are very correct, we don't know. And that's from Illinois. Yeah, yeah that is uh, regarding the uh, issue of the uh, folks that have these nonprofits and the FBI's expansion uh, of its investigation. And um, we talked about that last week at some length about we know, what we know and what we don't know. And what we don't know, we don't know about this investigation. And uh, in the end, the only people that know are the investigators and anybody that may have 
perpetrated anything. So uh, thank you for that uh, message from Illinois. Uh, looking forward to Jeff's constitutional series. We missed it last week, and that's again from New York. Got some fans up there, Jeff. Uh, another email that can, uh, actually it was a question. Leroy, what are your thoughts on temporary and part-time temporary work workers? And that's from Ohio. Well, my thoughts are not just my own thoughts, but the thoughts of this team. And uh, we have long held the position that temporaries and part-time temporaries are abstractly and absolutely being disabused to the point of treatment, slave-like treatment. And their uh, compensation is such that it leaves them impoverished, many of whom, and I see this on a daily basis, many of whom, as my office is close to one of these facilities, by the way, many of whom go to blood plasma centers two to three times a week to, and we've talked about this, uh, to augment their money so they can actually sit, you know, sustain their livelihood for themselves and their family. This is a sad state of affairs when we have UAW members that have to go to the blood plasma clinics to donate blood plasma in order to, to live. And when you look them in the eye on a daily basis as they walk into these facilities, you understand what's going on with them and why it's wrong. And we need to change this. We need to change it as soon as possible. And we're going to, we've been working on it already. And we'll see what, what happens. Uh, we'll do more once we ascend to leadership. So having said that, uh, let's uh, move on. We're gonna, last week's quote was um, pretty poignant, and I'd like to go over it again. Uh, government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness of the people, and not for the profit, honor, and private interest of any one man, family, or class of men. President John Adams, our founding father. As I considered my answer to the, the email that came in, or the, this, this is a question that came in to me, um, I thought about this even more this week because one of, one of the elements of my answer, and I answered this in, in another uh, venue, but one of the elements of my answer is that executives have the power to essentially buy Congress and with the company's money. And that protects the, the company. But the same executives are doing things to protect themselves. Okay, think about that. They're not just protecting their company, they're protecting themselves. And they have set up programs to allow for glutinous profits and, you know, or benefits, and not a profit, but benefits for themselves. And this particular quote by one of the first presidents, John Adams, and a founding father, 
addresses such issues. And the government is instituted for the common good and the protection and safety, prosperity and happiness of the people. Okay? That's what government's for. And they need to stand up when glutinous profits, glutinous revenue, in the name in particular of dead peasants insurance, where billions have been taken before the bottom line from the revenue source and diverted into their own pockets, these executives. And we're dealing with that now. We're not waiting till we ascend to leadership. We're dealing with that now. Others are talking, and we're doing. Okay. So, having said that, uh, let's bring on uh, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing this week? I'm doing better, Leroy. Um, as you know, I lost my voice Thursday and Friday, but I'm, I'm okay now. I'm, I'm good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to, glad you're feeling uh, better, or at least you've got your voice back, and uh, here to uh, testify to that fact. That fact. So let's bring <laughs> David on. Hi, David. Hi, Jeff. Leroy, how are you guys doing tonight? Hi, Dave. Pretty good. Um, that's some really good news. Two victories in the UAW this week. Yes. Our guy won in Lansing, too. Oh, yeah. 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 One big two, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, he, uh, uh, the second award, he just about two to one. And uh, we supported him uh, in the primary, and uh, that that carried him through. We didn't have to add to that. Guillermo uh, lost by just a little, unfortunately. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, Brian Jackson, that we supported for uh, a year ago for prosecutor, won the fourth ward. And uh, we uh, got a new mayor here, Andy Shore. Uh, we wish him well, and we retained a clerk. It's hard to beat an incumbent clerk when he's running, Chris Swope. And I've known Chris for a very long time, close to 30 years, and he's a very good clerk. Uh, so I, he saw me down speaking at council here a couple of weeks ago, I think three weeks ago I was there, and um, he came over and was the first to shake my hand, first of many to shake my hand and acknowledge me. So he's, uh, he's a good man and, and uh, has always worked with labor, and we really appreciate who he is. Uh, and aside, we haven't mentioned this on the show until just now, uh, the uh, uh, Cesar Chavez uh, street was turned down in 1994. We actually had one, and we lost it here in the Lansing area. I was on that executive committee to retain the street, and we did a lot of hard work and maybe a little too much because we energized uh, about 6,000 more than normally vote. So that really hurt us uh, more than it helped us back then. But 
the city council has taken it under advisement again for another part of the city to rename uh, part of Grand River, Cesar E. Chavez Avenue. And uh, we are pleased to announce that the city council voted unanimously to do that. Uh, I was there uh, after the leadership team empowered me to speak uh, to them that evening uh, that they were considering this, and we suggested that their vote should reflect their support for labor, as all of them write these eloquent letters t telling them how much they support labor. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was it was very interesting to see the look on their face when they realized it wasn't just a Hispanic issue, but Cesar Chavez is known worldwide for his uh, peaceful resistance uh, regarding uh, labor organization. So, and I reiterate, peaceful resistance. He's very successful at that. And... Uh, uh, a renowned man, and we're glad to have his name on the street here in, in Lansing. And we'll be celebrating that later uh, in this uh, uh, season in December uh, as we have the uh, event, annual event for the symposium. Uh, but having said that, yes, we, uh, we had some great successes, uh, and we're pleased to... Uh, uh, announce and, and quite frankly, we're uh, given uh, quite a bit of credit for the unanimous vote at City Council, even though many looked like they were going to pass it uh, after the labor element was added to it. It became a unanimous vote, and we're pleased to thank each and every City Council member for supporting this. So. Uh, we look forward to working with the new people. We, we did have seven women and one man, and the, the, the one man was son of one of the one of the other women. So it doesn't even sound good, does it? <laughs> but that's changed a little. We have now two, uh, three new men uh, on the council, um, and two women. Uh, one ran for mayor. One got defeated, and or two got defeated. Uh, so uh, that's. That whole thing has changed. They'll be having a, so that everybody understands here in Lansing, uh, they'll be having a state house, uh, House of Representatives vote uh, before too long uh, to fill the vacated seat by Andy Shore, the current, uh, or the uh, mayor-elect for the city of Lansing. He was our house rep uh, in the area here. So, uh, so one of them, we have like, three in the county, so. Uh, Sam Singh, and the other name escapes me, unfortunately. Um, so uh, let's uh, get on with uh, any, anything else, David or Jeff? Uh, just off, you know, how did your week go? Is that it? Yeah, I, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast that works the other night. I, I do every night on my political talking head show on MNSBC. And they said a UAW member won the position of mayor at Brook Park, which Brook Park has a Ford plant. It's called Cleveland Engine. But I did not hear the gentleman's name or, or the lady's name. They said, a, they said a UAW member won mayor of Brook Park, Ohio. 
So that, that is correct. Uh, and we had one of our leadership team working on that campaign uh, and had a great deal to do with getting him elected. But quite frankly, I I never really got this gentleman's name. I know he's a brother, and he's, uh, I believe he's an international staff rep uh, that ran, and uh, he's now the mayor of Brook Park. So, yeah, congratulations to him. Uh, sorry that we didn't catch his name throughout all of this campaign, but we did keep an eye on it. Uh, so that's uh, also good news, Jeff. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah, David. Anything else on the week week's happenings? Oh, uh, no, not anything I can think of, Leroy. Okay, the lake's kind of quiet out there at the moment. No, no yeah, no investigation or anything. There will be no research on the lake for a while. It's pretty cold out there. The next research will be on hard water when uh, it's time to fish through a hole. There you go. All right. Okay. Well, I think Jeff has a little uh, report he's got here tonight, a little bit more on the uh, Constitution. So go ahead, Jeff, and give us your report on the Constitution. Um, I want to thank everybody for their support and interest in this. This is really important for everybody to know. Um, as we go along with this constitutional series, um, please pay attention because there are language in here that our international officers are violating. So please pay attention to that. And we'll bring that up when we come across some language that is important. We left off at Section 8, Article 8, Section 5. It says, each local union should have one delegate for 200 members or less than one additional delegate for the next 300 members or major fraction thereof to one additional delegate for each additional 800 members or major Fraction thereof, except acclimated, magnetized, or yeah, voices that might come to work. And local unions which elect as many delegates as they have in units who average 200 dues paying members or more, and that those units who have 200 members or more may elect their own delegates to the Constitution and not those, and those with less than 200. They'll be regrouped together and vote as a miscellaneous group. In the event of a miscellaneous group in an amalgamated local union, that's a hard word to say, um, less than 200, then 200 members of the International Secretary Treasury allocate such membership to some other unit or the local union in which such a matter as will result in the maximum number of delegates. Section 6. Each unit of an amalgamated local union shall be allotted its share of the number of delegates in proportion to the amount of per capita tax paid by the unit through the amalgamated local union. Any fractions remaining from the units following such allocations shall be allotted to the local union's joint council where such body exists. 
delegates presenting the total of all fractions shall be elected on the basis of one for each 800 or majority thereof. Any member of the local union who has qualified to be nominated and elected by the joint council, provided he, she has not accepted nomination in his or her unit in order to be eligible to be nominated as a delegate representing a unit of a of an amalgamated local union, he she must be a member of such unit. Section eight or seven. Each union each local union shall have one vote for the first one hundred members or less than one additional vote for each additional 100 members, a majority fraction thereof. No delegate shall have more than eight votes. The vote shall be equally proportioned along with the selected delegates from each local union, except that an amalgamated local union may proportion its votes in such a manner as the local union decides with no delegate having more than eight votes. The total number of votes in the units of an amalgamated local union shall not exceed the total votes which the local union is entitled to under Section 9 of this article of the Constitution. So we're going to do the last one for tonight, Section 8. Local unions may alternate delegates if they so desire. The number of alternates may be less, but not more than the number of regular delegates. Local unions shall determine the manner and order in which an alternate will place will replace a regular delegate, and shall so shall so advise the credentials committee. Regular delegates may be replaced only if recalled by the local union in the manner in which they were elected to or if unable to serve. That's it for tonight, Leroy. Um, I keep bringing up this, um, what is it here? Um, Sub-council, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's local 600. Right. Well, the, several the example, yeah. right? And that, and as we stated before, that doesn't give the membership a voice in who they want to represent. Um, so we need to work on that once we take office. Right. Well, and and we'll have a resolution dealing with the sub the the matter of uh, sub council. Uh, as mm -hmm. we go through the entire uh, Constitution and uh, identify identify this and ask the constitutional delegates to uh, eliminate this aspect so that everybody has voice and vote at their own general membership meeting. That's only fair. Correct. Yeah, and we've seen that be problematic in the, recently. Uh, so, mm -hmm. okay. Um, I, you know, the... In, in summary, this is you know, how many delegates get elected and how that's handled within your local union. Uh, so uh, whether it's uh, standalone or amalgamated, 
so you um, now know some of the numbers. It's uh, in this section of the Constitution. Uh, David, do you have anything to add to uh, Jeff's report? Um, not necessarily on uh, um, constitutional language. You just spoke to, but I would like to say um, I'd like to address the independent suppliers. Um, you guys are a huge presence in our union. Um, probably outnumber the uh, OAM. And when you get to this convention, you're going to find that you may have curved service right to the convention center. Um, when you get there, you may as well you may well too have discounted rooms. Um, when you get inside, be a room off to the side, be full of trinkets, and giveaways, and this is all designed to um, build support in you for the administration caucus. You see all these wonderful things given out. Um, you get a warm and fuzzy feeling. Be careful of shiny objects. Be very careful of shiny objects. Because the bargaining convention will be much different. That's all I have to on that, Larry. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The uh, uh, Constitutional Convention uh, is where the officers at this time are elected. Uh, and, of course, they're campaigning there uh, in, in a big way. They want to uh, uh, swoon you to the degree that they can to support them. Um, so we'll be talking more about that as that gets closer, but uh, be, be, careful, be careful of shining ob shiny objects, as David said, because things aren't always what they seem to be. And there'll be a lot of folks saying, oh, well, we've changed. Oh, well, you probably haven't changed. And likely the only way to repair our reputation is complete and absolute change uh, so that people can once again begin to build faith and trust in our great, wonderful union. Uh, so it's been clearly uh, uh, tainted here of, of late, and it's not our purpose to pile on, but rather just recognize the facts. So, but having said that, uh, David, uh, I don't have any more for, for, for Jeff's report. Uh, I know you have a report on uh, what occurred uh, at FUIO, and uh, go ahead and give us your report, brother. Well, we had a stinging loss at FUIO, and uh, the vote was two to one, um, 886 to 441. Um, also, the loss down there means no union can negotiate there um, or hold another 
organize and drive and vote for a period of one year um, next November. Um, how that turns out, um, we don't really know. Um, hopefully, uh, the members down there will choose the LAW if there's another vote. Um, however, um, the president of uh, the IUE, CWA, Jim Clark, he had some interesting things to say after the vote. And uh, the uh, IUE had a presence at uh, the Marine plant um, when it was a General Motors facility. Um, they, uh, you know, a lot of the workers that are still inside the plant there were former IUE. Um, both both um, the UAW and the IUE are affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Um, Clark stated to the media um, that they had been making inroads into the Marine plant when the UAW supporters showed up in 2016 handing out leaflets. Um, then the UAW filed an Article 21 asking for exclusive jurisdiction over the plant. That means exclusive bargaining. And uh, They had asked, uh, the UAW had asked the AFL-CIO for three years to exclusively organize Tayo. Um, the AFL-CIO didn't agree with that. And they gave the UAW just one year, and that year expired this week with the with the vote. Um, and as I said before, that means for one year, no union um, can organize down there or hold another vote to represent these people. Um, Clark also stated um, they, speaking of speaking to the UAW. Um, turn the clock off. It definitely limits people. Um, Clark was asked um, if uh, they would uh, seek to um, organize the workers in a year. Um, and he had stated that um, union leaders will assess that situation over the year. Um, he also stated, while workers clearly rejected the UAW, he thinks the vote didn't necessarily reject all unions. And many FIU workers are former IUE members, he said. Um, the IEU wants um, two things at FIU, profitable company and a good relationship with workers. I don't know what the relationship is with uh, the workers and their leadership. Um, there's definitely problems with our members and our leadership. Our union is perfectly fine. It belongs to all of us. We just have some bad actors at the top, in my opinion. So um, leadership change is probably in our best interests. And we actually have now sister unions kind of echoing that same sentiment. So 
that's about all I have on this there, right? Um, you guys are open to opinion on it. Okay, Jeff, you got thoughts on this one? Yes, same thought I have every time we have a, a drive. The union's got to give the employees a good reason to vote them in. And our union leadership has not done that. Just look around at everything happening lately at Solidarity House. Explains everything. They don't work for the people, they work for the companies. And that's just plain wrong. That's all I have. Okay. I, I echo uh, Jeff's thoughts. Uh, David, do you have any thoughts on a revisit to foyer for you foyer for you uh for an organizing drive uh, do you have any thoughts yourself regarding this uh a year from now um, I believe that um the u a w should make another attempt at organizing these members however um it's my opinion and belief that we should do it under new leadership so we don't have that aura hanging over our heads. Um, I want to be clear on something. Um, this week, um saw some administration caucus supporters making statements. Um, one of them was that he was tired of uh, seeing UAW members bash um, the uh, UAW. The members he's talking about are not bashing our union. As I've said before, there's nothing wrong at all with the UAW. The UAW is the rank and file. What these members are dissatisfied with is the current leadership the International Executive Board and these members who have opinions by law they can criticize their elected leadership. Nobody is bashing the UAW. When these folks are speaking out, they're speaking out against the current leadership, not our union. The International Executive Board, in my opinion, we have some bad actors there, taking us down some bad roads. It's not just the current leadership. It's leadership going back all the way to 1981 under the administration caucus. We've done nothing but lose benefits, jobs, and now our integrity in some cases. This cannot continue to, to go on. It's very important that the delegates understand that the future of our union is in their hands and that we cannot allow 
a handful of bad actors to take down our union. That's it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, David. I I would say the following to any and all staff reps that come out there, having drinking enormous amount of Kool-Aid. I submit that you haven't been on the plant floor for a long time. Nor have I. But I will say this. I have empathy for each and every member on that plant floor because I worked side by side with them most of my career. Alternative work schedules. These are the people that are speaking out. Alternative work schedules is what they're being faced with. I'm in communication with people on a weekly basis, sometimes several times a week, that work day shift, Thursday and Friday, afternoon shift, Saturday and Sunday, and that's their week. If they have overtime, it's at the pleasure of management that they work overtime their, their Saturday, sometime on Monday. one of the three shifts on Monday. That's going on right now. Do you think those people are happy with the leadership when they can't go to sleep and put their head down on the pillow at a regular time every day as required by sleep specialists? They tell you, sleep at the same time every day and get eight hours a day. Now, the eight hours varies depending on the individual. But they want you putting your head down at the same time every day. And how can you do that when you don't have a consistent shift? Inhuman. Violates your circadian clock. Look it up. You'll figure it out. Let's talk about the young people. Let's talk about the young people. Pardon? I say families are also being destroyed, Leroy. Marriages. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How can you possibly go to a, a bowling league or a softball league, volleyball league? How can you possibly go to go to class? To, to educate yourself in a more formal way. How can you possibly do those things with that sort of schedule? What about the young people? These are the people that are speaking out. We had a member write a very eloquent article in a renowned newspaper, online newspaper. Actually, not just online. Speaking of the injustices of the young people being treated like slaves and asked to do more because they're under threat, constant threat of being discharged for no reason. 
other than we didn't like the way you walked down the aisle that particular time, and we'll just let you go. Sort of violates the whole premise of you'll have union protection in an at-will state where you can't be fired for anything. They're doing it. Women have been fired when they've gone out to have a baby. Young people, their shift might be any one of the shifts any time during the week. Might be as little as eight hours or as many as 50. Nobody knows until they schedule you. There's nothing consistent about this. And you have the audacity to criticize people working under those conditions. Be careful of making those statements anymore. Be very careful. Because you're criticizing the union. How dare you criticize us? Because we have more voice than you few leaders ever thought of having. Jeff, do you have any comments on that? I totally agree with you, Leroy. Um, I was talking to a friend down in Ohio last night, and she was saying basically the same thing. Um, a lot of complaints, and we're hearing it from every plant that we know people from. And the regional reps, the international reps, better watch what they tell people Um, because there are a lot of legitimate issues that are coming off the shop floor these days that the region and the international are just not paying attention to. And you better be careful, as you said. We're coming. Well, it's, you know, it's certainly been alluded to that the Mm -hmm. contracts were, at least in FCA, were influenced by uh, the misuse of monies. Right. So we don't know about Ford and GM yet. But these contracts, having been influenced by monies for the benefit of corporations, are being felt by the membership that actually work in the plant. And this is wrong, absolutely wrong. I'll tell you something. I wasn't going to bring it up. There's a gentleman who ran for city council in Flint. And this gentleman has a talk show uh, similar to what we have. But it's broadcast, not just Internet, is my understanding. I'm not going to get into names. You figure it out because it's easy enough to find out. Uh, He was running for city council. And a very 
popular woman was mayor, and uh, somebody from the UAW was running against her. And the UAW endorsed nine city council members and an opponent of the mayor. I guess there was there were nine endorsements total. So there was uh, eight city council and one mayor. My understanding. The uh, before the election, uh, the gentleman was talking about how this is a recall election, and that the UAW had uh, traditionally stayed out of recall elections because they were trying to get rid of this mayor, recaller. And the regional director called into his talk show host, or his uh, talk show, uh, wanted to be, um, you know, they're discussing some things. The man got fed up with the regional director of the United Auto Workers for the Flint area. We're not going to say names. He figured that one out. Hung up on him. Hung up on the the. the Council candidate and talk show host hung up in Flint, Michigan, hung up on the regional director of the UAW. Later saying, you don't live in the city. Most of your staff do not live in the city. Cap coordinator doesn't live in the city. We live in the city. Stay out of your influent politics. They had the election. Nine endorsed candidates by the UAW. And seven lost. There's a reason for that. I won't go into the specifics reasons with this man actually defined the election in a way that they could win. The opposition could win. He did a good job of it. And he had sound fact. <laughs> Seven of the nine UAW endorsed candidates lost in the city of Flint, Michigan. The bastion of the UAW. The Pioneer Hall, once there. Now it's, it's a head shop, thanks to the UAW, allowing it to be sold. It was my original union hall. I hired in in this city. I worked in it. For a long time, I lived on Lyon Street when I first hired in, and I walked to work about a half a mile, a 10-minute walk at the time. The city of Flint voted against the UAW in this election. I never thought I'd ever see that. But it speaks volumes, absolute volumes, about why 
the UAW leadership is not in touch with the workers on the floor or the members who live in the city and what their wishes are. This mayor was a very popular mayor, woman, Ph.D., I understand she's a Ph.D., so she's a doctor. I believe she's a Ph.D. Very popular in the community. But they wanted to go in and beat their chest and go in and say, we can, we can beat anybody just because it's Flint and we're the UAW. You have to stay in touch. You can't sit in your office like the current CAP coordinator does. A job I once had, cap coordinator. I was never staff. I was temporary, albeit. But it was a job I you held. Very effective. I was the most successful one. I was the most successful Democratic Party chair for Ingham County of all time. But you can't do that by sitting in an office somewhere. You have to engage yourself in the community. Find out by talking to hundreds and hundreds of people. Finding out what the pulse of the community is. Going to laundromats and bowling alleys and just sitting and talking and listening. Find out what they want. And then fashion programs that satisfy their needs. Find candidates who will satisfy their needs and support them. You can't allow this to go on willy-nilly without some direction. You don't sit there and say, who's running? You say, we found this person and this person. We've been grooming this person. And you do that by going to meetings and engaging in things with the African-American community, the Hispanic community. And whether you like it or not, with the gay community, you have to engage these people, everyone, and find out what their wishes are. Go to neighborhood meetings. You can't sit in an office and dictate like you're doing. Team Working for a Living has a plank that says, we will be every Friday in one of the regions. We'll get to a region once a quarter. There will be a few Fridays that have holidays, etc. on them. But we'll be in a region every Friday. All of them. And once we get through the full region, there might be a, a week or two, or even in between, you might have a week or two where you have something going on, you can't make it. The idea is to be in every region once a quarter. And that, that will keep us 
abreast of everything that's going on. When you have Solidarity House pouring out into the region every Friday, can you imagine how people will feel about you? Hmm? Do you think they feel that you connect with them? And that's what you're not doing even on the region level. You have a thought process about politics that is, quite frankly, very, very, very flawed. In the city of Flint, you lost seven of nine of your endorsed candidates. You ought to be ashamed. The gentleman in question that hung up on our regional director has now called for the resignation of the regional director of the UAW for his failures in the community to realize what the community is and for getting engaged in a recall election that has traditionally not been the case with the UAWE by and large, have stayed away from any and all recall elections for violating that long-held policy. This man is calling for his resignation. Obviously, he's not going to leave a $120,000 a year job because somebody called for his resignation. And we're not calling for his resignation right here. But we will admonish him for not doing his job. and his staff for not doing their job, in particular the CAP coordinator. So, having said that, uh, I want to talk just a minute or two about... Any, Jeff, do you have any comments on that? No, you, you're exactly right. Um, can't do their jobs without leaving their office. Too many of them want to hide. So, yeah. did a good job, everybody. Thank you, David. Do you do you have anything to say about that? I can't imagine the surprise on workers' faces when they see a United Auto Workers president on their plant floor walking the uh, walking the plant. Yeah. that's going to be unprecedented in history. Once a quarter. He'll be in the community and on a plant floor to talk to the members face-to-face. That's hugely right. Well, it's, it's you know, we've we've discussed it and we've decided to do that. So um, uh, thank you for both of those comments. Uh, let me just talk a little bit about the training centers. And I want to talk, I don't want to talk about the investigation. What I do want to talk about, just for a little bit, is the thought of where the money comes from and where these got their authority to begin with. In 1984, the joint programs were initiated. Now, this was after the 1982, uh, you hear David say the 1981, but it, they, had, they had to vote on in 82 on the and they had to have it twice. Uh, 
concessionary uh, contract in 1982. The national bargaining chair for General Motors was a brother by the name of Cal Rapson. I remind everybody Cal Rapson was the vice president of the GM department of UAW in 2007 in what is arguably the worst contract, the contract that cut wages in half for all incoming people. But that uh, 1984 agreement followed that concessionary agreement, and that's when the joint programs were initiated. We had, in General Motors, some 430 to 50,000 members, depending on the day or the snapshot day that you took to see what the numbers were exactly. And money was, uh, per hour money, was dedicated to this program, and it was matched by the corporation. Uh, this is money diverted from the checks, supposedly into a fund. And then the corporations matched that money. And that paid for the uh, National Training Center. And money was flowing. They had $100 bills. That's reported by one of the brothers that was a part of this. They had $100 bills knee-high in this building, Perver proverbially, lots of money, lots of money. Uh, they were funding the sports car divisions uh, issues and things, and they'd send people down to these uh, to support our branding of the UAW and General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. And then the membership started dropping, and the UAWs per dollar was the same, but there's not as many hours worked because the membership dropped by, oh, 80%, 90 89%, something like that, from 430 down to 50, 52,000, last count. So, you know, whatever that works out to be, 85%, something like that, we lost. So our input into this money has been a little bit lopsided. But the fund supposedly still has money in it, and they draw from this fund that is supposed to have money in it. Now, we'd like to see that fund and see how much is actually in it. But the corporations keep paying their part, so much so that Dennis Williams, when this whole investigation first came out publicly, said this is a management program, and no dues dollars were a part of this. Those dues dollars were a part of it but diverted money from your pocket was. You know, when you play word games, that sort of comes full circle at some point, I suppose. But 
have built large Taj Mahals and and uh, had still have a lot of money. You know, mostly funded um, by what Dennis Williams claims it's a management program. When the UAW, I asked the question on air, what does the board not allowing the UAW access to the records of the Ford Training Center for an, the purpose of an audit, what does that mean? I asked that question. And what that means is that the UAW doesn't have as much participation in this that they would have equal access to the financial records. And Ford refused them those records. This is a matter of record, and it's out in public. So it appears as though this is more of a management program now rather than a joint funds program. Now, we have a brother by the name of Bill Skip Hanline who has been studying this whole process of joint funds for some 25-plus years. He has a room in his home full of filing cabinets, full of filing cabinets that are full of reports from all of this. That he's spent a fortune acquiring. But he has them. And his whole purpose is to say that the UAW is not an equal partner in the joint funds programs. Therefore, these programs where our staff people get paid, they're no longer, they're still a member of the UAW being paid by these programs. That this is, his, he has maintained for many years that this is uh, something of value that's being given to the union by management. If for no other reason that many of our own staff people are being paid by this program that's funded largely by the corporation. Think about that. Many, according to Bill Hanline, many of the people from the staff working in these joint programs, joint funds are being paid by the corporation. Dennis Williams said it's a corporate program. But we have international staff reps over there working, being paid, reimbursed. So there's only one way to really find out, and that's what investigators are doing now. But there's a lot of folks that think the joint funds are problematic in themselves. And we're supposed to be equal partner under the law that provides for such programs. Remember, corporations and corporate executives and have this very, very cozy relationship so they can do what, about what they want and then control the board 
timetable. It goes back to the Powell Memorandum. Decided to, that it was written for the purposes of controlling the bargaining table. And they've done a very good job. August 23rd, 1971. Remember that date, because that's the day things changed. Took a while for them to kick in, but they have really kicked in, and it's our job to turn it around. So having said all of that, that's about uh, eight or ten minutes on that subject. The joint funds are supposed to be from both sides. Arguably, according to many sources, they're not. Okay. Uh, including the president of the UAW, who said this is a management-funded program and no dues dollars are ever used in it. So, and Ford said they're not going to give them the, the financial records for to audit it. So if somebody's controlling it other than us, if we were in control of it, then we'd have the financial records or access to them, wouldn't you think? our opinion that we should. So what's going on with the funds? This is what this is the joint training the National Training Center that you hear about. It is where staff people staff members of the UAW work. It is the funding source for all document forty six workers or at least uh, supposed to be Doc 46 workers are part of this program. So uh, now you know what a National Training Center is supposed to be for training purposes and supposed to be funded jointly. But it's a problem. And it'll remain a problem until it gets fixed. And who knows what that fix is going to be. I got an idea, but I'm not at liberty to say at this time. Having said that, uh, any questions on that, David or Jeff? No. no. Okay, I remember the joint training funds being um, negotiated to um, retrain um, laid off and displaced UAW members in the very beginning. But uh, it sure morphed into a lot more. Yeah, it's it's morphed into a whole lot. There's a number of things that are, you know, part of this, and it goes on in the, in the contract. Uh, I know there was uh, supposed to be an MOU that I, I, uh, I was looking for uh, that covered all of that. There's a letter that covers it all. Um, but I'm, I don't want to get into the, the specifics of it because uh, I, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, was looking for it today and found a letter, and it wasn't as fully explanatory as I wanted. And I know there's more out there, and I'll find it. Uh, but for now, that's just from experience and from the reading that I did today on the matter. Uh, there's, there's a lot of programs in this, just a lot of them. 
uh, including Doc 46. Uh, but having said that, uh, for this uh, show, you know, we have the holiday coming up, uh, and I want to, we polled the uh, people on air, and deer season is starts on Wednesday, and we'll go through next weekend and the following week, uh, but the following week is also Thanksgiving. So the thought is that during the deer season, that we not have a show because there'll be a lot of people gone uh, hunting deer, uh, at least here in Michigan and in some of the other surrounding states have that season the same uh, in late November uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, so there will be no show uh, next week on the 19th and no show for the Thanksgiving Sunday, yeah, Sunday Thanksgiving weekend. So we're off two weeks, and we'll return December 3rd. Okay, we appreciate all of you listeners. If you found value in anything you heard here this evening, please tell just one person. Um, I'd like to have a hearty shout-out to all of our friends around the world, Mexico, Canada, around the United States, and everybody else that's listening, whether you're union or non-union. Obviously, this is typically a UAW show. Uh, Listeners, please have a good night, stay safe, and have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again on December 3rd, Sunday, December 3rd. Everyone, good night, David and Jeff, and have a good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.